Hey, good morning to everyone. Uh, how many people missed that hour this morning? Anybody miss it? Or Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I think there are some that are probably on their way to church right now thinking, I, I slept good. And they're going to get here and we're going to be leaving. Well, they'll get here if they're an hour late. They'll be halfway through the sermon. Right? Right? Hey, um, uh, when I was a young, uh, I tell you what, even before I get started on that, hey, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. And uh, we're actually going to be uh, getting to the end of Exodus chapter 4. We're just going to cover a few verses today. Uh, by the time we get done today, Moses will be in Egypt. Okay? So a, a lot takes place uh, from where we left off last week to uh, uh, the place we'll find ourselves today. Uh, when, now to jump back to what I was about to share with you guys. When I was a young believer, uh, follower of Christ, when I was kind of first introduced to to the Lord. There were a lot of things I was kind of navigating, trying to work my way through, uh, things that uh, you just kind of have to discern. You know, certain people, you, you found yourself drifting towards certain teachers and certain preachers and certain ministries and whatnot, and you're trying to navigate this because it's all new to you, and there's so many voices. Even back then, there were a lot of voices out there, but I found myself clinging to a certain ministry, not so, not so much clinging, but inclined to listen to it quite a bit. And it was a ministry that was based out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it was a ministry founded by a gentleman by the name of Dr. James Dobson. Anybody familiar with James Dobson, Focus on the Family? And uh, I remember uh, it used to come on around uh, 7, 8 o'clock at night on WJIE 88.5 out of Louisville. And, uh, and I would just turn it on. Whoever was on the show, I, I would give ear to it and whatnot because uh, I felt that uh, they had a good process of, uh, of, uh, of vetting the individuals that were on the show. Well, one night when I, I turned on to the show, uh, they had a recording from a church in, in California. Uh, it was a church, uh, 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 Chuck Swindoll's church in California. And the guest speaker that night was an elderly lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Anybody familiar with who I'm speaking of? And she told her story, uh, which is encapsulated for the most part uh, in the book, The Hiding Place. And it talks about, or she talked about uh, that night, about forgiveness. And it's a, very, it's a very powerful story. If you ever hear her tell it, man, it's just incredible. Um, she lost most of her family in a, in a Nazi concentration camp. And they were, they were Christians who were helping Jews. And, uh, and so th for whatever reason, it just kind of sparked uh, my interest uh, in, that, in that whole ugly picture of the Holocaust. And a few years ago, we had a chance, we were in Washington, D.C., and uh, they've opened in Washington, D.C., uh, what would be the equivalent of the Holocaust Museum or the Holocaust Memorial, which you would find in Israel today. They have the Holocaust Museum, which is similar, uh, in Washington, D.C. And so me and uh, those that were with us, we went to the Holocaust Museum, and... Uh, whenever you go into a place like that, you know, you're on vacation, you're wanting to kind of see the sights and whatnot, but the moment you walk into that place, you understand right off the bat, this isn't one of those places that you're going to come out smiling. You're not going to come out laughing, you're not going to come out saying, man, I can't wait to do that again, but it's one of those things that you experience and it somewhat changes you. They... Um, they have this display, and we went through a lot of different things, and it seemed like every corner, every room you went into, there was something that was just even heavier than what you had just seen. But there's this one display that they have, and the display is an elevated display where you actually have to kind of look down in, and it's elevated so if people are coming through with small kids, they can't see down in the display. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure exactly why. I'm not sure a, a small child would even understand what they were seeing. But what they've accumulated in this, in this display, in this large uh, containment unit behind glass, are thousands of shoes. And these thousands of shoes uh, belong to people who had died in the Holocaust and uh, at the many different concentration camps. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at thousands of shoes 
And then you begin to notice and realize that they're not all the same size. That there's larger shoes that I'm sure belong to larger men. And then shoes somewhere in between, you're assuming, probably belong to women. And then you look down and they're small shoes. Small shoes. I'm talking about shoes that would fit the feet of a child who may have had to been carried into one of those execution chambers or led into one of those execution chambers by an adult who was dying as well. And I couldn't help. It hit me, it hit me so hard that I can still visualize, I can still see it, and then the images that they had around that display, I can still see all that as clear as though I had just seen it yesterday. That experience impacted me and changed uh, the way I viewed certain things pertaining to the Holocaust. And I think in our lives, we have experiences that change us forever. Sometimes to the good and sometimes even to the bad. Moses last week has an experience while he's shepherding the flock of his father-in-law. He sees a burning bush. He, he inquires. He goes over to see the bush because it's not being consumed. At that moment, God speaks to him. And then God uh, enlists Moses into his service to be a deliverer to the children of Israel who are occupying Egypt as slaves, right? And we remember the story that we were, we were covering, of uh, the scripture we were covering last week, and Moses responds to uh, God's request of Moses. He's asking him, this is what I need you to do. This is what we're going to do. And remember, each uh, a statement that God makes in, in regards to giving Moses directions, Moses has an excuse, Right? And we are excuse types of people. And so Moses gives an excuse of his inadequacy, right? You know, who am I to do this? And then he gives an excuse, well, who do I say uh, uh, sent me? I have no authority. And then he gives the excuse, what if they don't believe me? And then he gives the fourth excuse that says, I'm a really poor communicator. Right? That's what he says. I don't talk really good. And God, God sifts through all that stuff. God vets him at that moment, right, through all those excuses. And then at the very end of it, Moses says to God, why don't you just find someone else? And so uh, uh, Moses' heart is kind of unveiled in that moment, and you realize through all the excuses, uh, when it came down to where the rubber meets the road, the bottom line was that Moses just didn't want to do it. And remember what the scripture says? It says that the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Remember we talked about that, how it was inflamed. Moses' response, his, his uh, unwillingness to be obedient, inflamed, blew the flames of God's anger against Moses. And then Moses, uh, or, or God speaks directly to Moses, rectifies the situation, addresses some issues at that moment, and Moses does not respond after that in that conversation setting. Okay, this is where we pick up. This is where we pick up. We pick up Moses leaving the burning bush experience. Now, many of us have had burning bush experiences. I don't mean literally a burning bush, but we've had encounters with God. Have we not? The question isn't for any of us whether or not we've had an encounter with God. It is how has the encounter with God impacted us and changed us, or have we had in, or encounters with God that we've just left having basically outside of God's presence, or so we perceive it to be, we leave the encounter, and all of a sudden, 
It just slips away from us. As though we, we've had this in, incredible encounter and we just forget about it. Listen, if you come to this church, if you sit in these services, if you experience the worship, you hear the preaching of the word, and not just by me, but whoever's occupying this pulpit, I will say to you, you've had an experience with God and God's presence. There's no doubt about it in my mind. If you leave here unchanged, you are the individual that I'm speaking about right now. You can't come through those doors, encounter God, and just leave as though it was a nothing moment. Yet we do it. And what ends up happening is we leave these moments looking for the very next burning bush experience. The problem with that is this. We, we seldomly ever find a second burning bush experience when we don't allow the first one to impact us and we respond to that in accordance to the level or the depth of the impact. You know what I'm talking about? God speaks to Moses. God directs Moses. And this is what the scripture says that Moses does. Let's look at this scripture. Verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Or some translations will say, Go in peace, or peace be with you. Some of your translations will read as such. Now, I love how the King James will, will, will actually begin this scripture, or the New King James. It says, Moses went and returned to his father Jethro. This is what I like about that scripture. Is that he has the experience at the burning bush. He is silenced by God and he goes. He went. He moved. He acted on what God was saying for him to do. The question today isn't whether you've had the experience. The question today is through your experience with God, are you going? Would it be said of you, Whoever you are, I went afterwards. And this is what the scripture says. It says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. To see if any of them are still alive. At this moment, Moses leaves that experience, trusting God, inquires of his father-in-law for permission to leave so he can set out on the endeavor that God has called him to. Now listen, does Moses have any idea what, this, what obedience to God in this situation is really going to produce in his life? Did Moses have any idea what he was getting into when he agreed to take the Lord's call? Could he see the Egyptian army closing in and God parting the Red Sea? Could he see the song of victory being sung? The water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the battles won through prayer. Could he see the vision of God on Mount Sinai, the voice of God from heaven, the tablets of stone? Could he see any of these things? The golden calf, could he see the spies sent forth in Canaan? Could he see the negative report brought back by those spies? Could he see the wandering in the desert for 40 years? Could he see a lonely climb to the top of Mount Pisgah where he would die looking out over the land of promise? Could he envision any of that? Could he see the honor of sitting by Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration before the disciples? Did Moses really have any idea what he was getting into leaving that encounter? Probably not. And the reality is, we don't either. We have no idea where God is going to take us, what God is going to do with us, what God is going to do through us. He's just simply asking each of us, trust me. And when I say go and you've had an experience with me, 
you need to go. Because if you don't, look at what Moses would have missed. If he'd have left that burning bush experience and dismissed it and not let it impact him and change him and direct and guide his life, he would have missed all of this. How much have we missed already in our lives? Have you ever asked yourself that? If I would have listened to God earlier on in my life, what would I have seen? What would I have been spared from? I've asked that question. If I would have listened to God earlier, how many people would have been spared of me and the pain that I inflicted on people? It isn't just about saving me from pain, but saving others from my pain. If I would have just listened, some of you are five, six, seven years removed from your burning bush experience, and you're still sitting idle. You look back, you remember, oh yeah, I remember. I remember that. But man, I'm separated by miles from that experience. I'm separated by time from that experience. That seems like such a distant memory to me. And you've lost five years, six years, seven years, eight years, a decade of what God could have done, a decade. When will that stop? When will you say to yourself, when will you say to God, I will lose no more. I'll concede no more of my life or my time to loss. Or will you continue to lose? Will you continue to let that time slip through your fingers? Only to have your regret ever increasing by time. To the point you'll you'll find yourself 15, 20, 30 years removed thinking, what if, what if, what if? Scripture says that he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. Now Moses doesn't just leave his responsibilities, right? He doesn't just bail out. When God says to do this, there's a right way of doing things, right? When God says go, it doesn't mean all of a sudden you just say, well, to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, God told me to go, so I'm out of here, gone. That's not how it works, right? There's a way to honor God and honor others as well in pursuing the purpose of God in your life. So he goes to his father-in-law and he says to them, this is a pretty, this is a pretty uh, a sweet moment of social etiquette here within the culture. He goes to him and asks permission of his father-in-law. He doesn't just ask permission. What does the scripture say? He pleads with him to a degree, right? Please let me go. Now let me say this. He desired the blessings of his father-in-law. And he received the blessings of his father-in-law. But had he not, had he, and this is hypothetical, had he not received the blessing, it would have been incumbent upon Moses to continue on without his father-in-law's blessings. Who should I honor, God or man? Right? At some point you must do that. God must always come first, period. Before family, parents, siblings, spouses, even we ourselves must yield to the purpose of God first. And listen, these aren't things I'm making up. These aren't things that I'm just saying off the cuff. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying right there? It's God, it's me first. Jesus first. Does he really want us to hate all these people? That's not what the scripture means. In the Greek, it's the word messiah, and it means to detest on a comparable level. He's saying, basically, in contrast to your love and commitment to me, you might as well hate all these people. When you compare your love and commitment to all of these people, compared to my love or your love and commitment to me, it would almost look like hate. That's how we should be. 
So Moses goes, Moses asks, Moses gets the blessing of his father-in-law. Now, he doesn't tell his father-in-law the whole story, right? Right? I mean, hey, this might be some diplomacy on Moses' part. If he goes in there and he says, hey, God's called me to go back to Egypt. I'm going to help liberate the children of Israel, the Hebrews. God's going to use me as a, as a mighty vessel. And by the way, I'm taking your daughter and two grandchildren. And I'll get back with you when things kind of work out for us. Now, I can see him not saying, hey, let me divulge all this information to Jethro. Even though he's a godly man, that may not be, that may not be the right move. And let me say this to you. That's not dishonest. Because there are things that God will share with you, speak to you, that you just can't share with people, man. You know what I'm talking about, Reuben? Man, God will speak to you. I mean, some deep intimate things that you just can't share with just anyone. They would not understand. They could not, they could not, they, they could not grasp the depth of it, the gravity of it, the glory of it. And so sometimes when God is speaking to you about something he's wanting to do in and through you, sometimes that's just something you need to just kind of allow to, uh, uh, to marinate in you and in God and let it be at that. And when that thing comes to fruition and it begins to work out, those who need to know will know. Right? And so he says to him, go ahead, man. Peace out. So you got an 80-year-old man, asked permission of his father-in-law to go back to check on his family in Egypt. And the father-in-law says to my, to my prime A1 shepherd, you have my blessings, go in peace. And so he's moving out, right? And so this is what the scripture says. It says, now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, the reason this is tough for me to read is I've experienced this. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. There are times that God speaks to us about the matters of our heart that we've never even articulated to God. You know what I mean? The things that you were scared to speak to God, the things that you concealed in your heart, the things that you held back, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of a prayer session. You're in a time of prayer and God speaks to that. And you're so humbled and undone that God saw so deep in you that he addressed the issue of your heart and you didn't even allow it to be spoken from your lips. And yet God recognizes the need and he speaks to the need. This was not a need that Moses used as an excuse not to go back to Egypt. He never says, I'm just afraid, man. God, I'm afraid to go back. Because you know why I left, God? I left, Lord, because in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15, the scripture says this, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. That was the whole crust for him leaving Egypt to begin with. And God has given him a directive to go back to Egypt, and then he he literally goes in to the inner chambers of Moses' heart and he says to him, I paraphrase this, don't be afraid, Moses. I've taken care of that. I wonder when he began to take those first steps, if in the back of Moses' heart or the back of his mind, He's not thinking, if I go there, they're going to kill me. I can't tell Jethro that I've taken his daughter and children possibly to die. You understand now? Well, maybe some of this isn't opened up. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in that spot? where God is dealing with you about a, a matter, or at least you want to project a certain matter, 
My issue is really this. I'm having a dad issue, a mom issue, family issue. I'm having this. And then God says to you, it's not that. It's this. And in that moment, you're broken. It's one of those woe is me moments where you're completely and utterly exposed. But you're exposed to the audience of one to whom you can trust. And it dawns on you, you're not really exposed because you were never really hidden. I see you, Janie, is what God would say when you cry at night, when your heart is broken, when you're overwhelmed, Ronnie, when you're on the road, Josh. Jose, man, when life stinks and you're being pulled a hundred different directions and you're straining to hang on, man. God says, oh, I see you, Greg. I see you. I know what's really going on. I know the real need of your heart. And that real need is what I want to address. And the fear is removed from Moses in this moment because God speaks this truth. And I believe in that moment. His steps were lighter. I mean, known that that threat had been removed. A similar threat had been removed. Remember a, a father named Joseph? Remember him? Had a wife named Mary. Had a baby named Jesus. Remember they had gone to Egypt because there was someone wanting to kill him too. And the Lord speaks to them while they're in Egypt. And what does he say to them? Come on back home. The one that was wanting to kill you, they're no longer alive. It's safe to come back home. I bet Joseph rounded up the family, man, and said, let's get back home. I'm a stranger in a strange land. Let's get back home. So this isn't anything that's not consistent with the character of God. For all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons. Sons. Y'all know who his sons are, right? Old Gershom and Eliezer, help of God. That's who Eliezer is, the the God of my father's helper. That's what his name basically means. So he takes his wife and sons, got Zipporah, sons, and puts them on a donkey. And you thought that was the Jesus story, right? That only Jesus rode the donkeys. I don't know what it is. Maybe God's got a thing with vessels of his on the backs of donkeys. Right? I don't know. But he takes his wife and his two sons places them on a donkey, and they started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. <laughs> I bet when his joker was packing, you know, there's a lot of things I might forget. That staff of God I ain't forgetting, right? I don't know how many of you have gone on these long trips Listen, my wife's over on the, uh, doing the Emmaus walk. You know, anybody familiar with the Emmaus walk? Okay, if you're not, we can, we can get you familiar with it. But, uh, so she's doing the worship on the Emmaus walk. That's the reason she had to leave right after worship this morning. And uh, 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 they're, they're over there for like three days, right? So I'm helping her load her stuff up, two and a half days. Load her stuff up. I'm like, why are we moving? Why is the TV in your suitcase? Why is the microwave? Why do you got the freezer in the back of your car? I'm, I'm like, where, listen, when you take a trip like this, there's certain items you're not leaving behind, and you know what those are. I mean, you might leave your kids at home, but you're getting your blow dryer, your curling iron, your makeup kit. You know what I'm talking about? Your husband may be left in Vine Grove while you're in Florida, but you got your stuff, Right? 
Here's Moses. He's about to head out to Egypt. He's got his wife, his two sons on the back of a donkey. And the scripture says, and in his hand, he's got the staff of God. I love how the King James will read the rod, the, the rod of God. He's got God's rod, power rod in his hand. And no telling how much stuff he had to leave behind because he only had one hand to carry stuff with. And listen, let me say this to you. For us to carry the influence of God in our life will require of us to let other things go. Right? You can't hold the staff of God. You can't hold God's rod, Jack, and carry a bunch of other junk in the same hand. Something's being left. And in the life of Moses, in this moment, that wasn't the thing being left. I don't know how much you can carry on the back of a donkey with two kids and a wife, but I know what he had room for, and we all, we all should have room for the power of God in our life. And that's what the staff really represents, God's presence, God's power. I love that. I love the fact that it says that he took the staff of God and not the staff of Moses. <laughs> right? Right? It's God's power. I love what Ben Ashlock has said many times. He said, God can, God can uh, draw a straight line with a crooked stick. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and God chooses the vessel. God chooses the instrument by which his power is going to be demonstrated. And sometimes God chooses crooked sticks like you and like me to, to demonstrate, to illustrate his power in the lives of people. As Moses wanted that staff in his hand, I want my life surrounded, engaged, and connected with vessels full of God's power that be in you. I want you, this type of people, who have the influence of God in our lives around me. I want to be connected to that. So if I walk around, I might walk up to you. Look, Ronnie got the power of God in his life. I might, I might walk, go into Walmart. I just grab Ronnie's hand. <laughs> Don't walk into Walmart. Just, come here, Ronnie. Give me your hand. I, I, need, I need some God influence on my life. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, okay. All right. I think I got a little crazy. Okay. All right. All right. And then the scripture. Here, let me, let me go back. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you power to do. You know what he didn't say? When you get into Egypt, talk Pharaoh to death. Talk him to death. Convince him. Use your, your, your ability to articulate, your intellect. Use your reasoning. Use all of these skills you've got. That's not what he says. That's not what he said. He said, do the wonders that, and the power that I've given you. Demonstrate that. And that's consistent with the character of God as well. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul could have given Moses the exact same direction and demonstrated it out of his own life. And then what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He said, man, I didn't come to you with fine talking, clean and concise verbiage, but I came to you in a demonstration of the power of the Spirit so that men would not have confidence in other men, but would have confidence in God. That's what the Scripture says. And that's literally what God is directing Moses to do. You go in there in my power. All right, let's... He says, now this is... Listen, we're going to get into a couple weird things here. Okay, some of you have had a difficult time navigating some of this. I would like to try to illuminate it to some degree. It says, the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I will harden his heart. 
so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. Now, that sounds pretty tough, don't it? Pretty tough. There's some, there's some confusing verbiage here, some things we got to work out. Hold on, you mean to tell me that God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart against the will of God and then subject Pharaoh to the fallout and the repercussions and the judgment of a heart that has been hardened by God? That makes no sense, right? Where's the free will? Where's, where's the ability to choose in this situation? Well, a lot of it has to, has to rise or, or rest in the interpretation of the scripture and the translation and the words that are being used, okay? And let, let, me, let me say this to you. The word harden in Hebrew is the word kazak, and it means this, to grow firm or strong or to strengthen, or to strengthen. In Exodus chapter 8, now we've got one, ver one verse right here that says God hardens his heart. In Exodus chapter 8, the scripture says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then in Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, it says Pharaoh's heart grew hard and there's no cause to be mentioned. This is what I want you guys to understand. Is that what is taking place here is that the position and the posture of Pharaoh's heart, which is opposing the children of Israel and the idea and the existence of their God, He's already postured himself in this manner. God allows that posture to be strengthened. He literally gives him over to a heart that is already having the seeds of hardening against God existing in him. He strengthens, allows that heart, that position to be strengthened against God. And not only that, let me say this. God's existence among the heart of the Hebrew people drew a response from Pharaoh that was hostile, born out of that condition that already existed. And here's something funny. You and I have experienced that, right? When God is moving in our life, God is doing things in our life, don't be shocked when our culture responds to us in a hostile fashion. And Jesus said it so beautifully. It isn't you that they hate, but it's me. It's me and you. And sometimes, sometimes people's hearts positioned against God like that, when they see God doing in your life, they will literally become hostile towards you. Have you experienced that? I have. It says, but I will harden his heart. And he said, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Here, let, me, let me stop right there. Let me, get, let me give you a scripture in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Just to prove my point, to make a point, to clarify something. This is what the scripture talks about. This is what it says. Chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the desires of their hearts. He gives them over to sexual enticement, debauchery, all this other kinds of stuff. Now, did God make their heart desire that? No. He didn't harden their heart to the point where they rejected him and they embraced this. Their hearts were already in this condition. And the scripture says literally in that moment, and it says it in other places as well, that God gave them over to that. It's the exact same thing that's really taking place right here in the, in the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. He positions himself against God. God literally gives him over to that. And strengthens that position. How does he strengthen that position? By showing himself to be the one true God after Pharaoh exalts himself as being a real deity in his own mind. Pride. He elevates and exalts himself equal to the God of the Hebrews. What a fool. And then when God demonstrates himself, can you imagine that being called out and you know your limitations? That's the real God, but you're claiming to be a God. You can see how it, the conflict, the hostility would rise up, right? Almost making a mockery of Pharaoh. You could see it. 
This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. <laughs> okay, you're Moses. God has given you this revelation. He, said, he says, this is where I'm leading you. God's just removed some fear, right, right? Sometimes God removes some fear. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll automatically, we'll automatically fill that slot with more of the same stuff, won't we? And you can see this in Moses' mind, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You took the, the, people, the people that were out to get me are, are gone now, but you're telling me you're leading me into a conflict you mean to tell me, God, I'm just wanting to hand out Bible tracts. I just want to hand out Bible tracts. I didn't know that guy had one of those coexist bumper stickers on the back of his car, and he was going to give me a dog cussing. I just hand out Bible tracts. You led me out there to Walmart. I was just putting them on the window. Guys throwing rocks at me. You know what, I, you, you know what I'm talking about? I'm just, and here's Moses. Well, I'm just wanting to do the God thing. And you mean the God thing is going to end up with me in a conflict with the king of Egypt that's going to lead to the death of his own son? Can we talk about this? Right? That's what I would be saying. I would be saying that. I'd, I'd be saying, can, can we discuss this? But he moves on. Now listen, there's some, this is the second weird thing in this scripture. Now this scripture right here, I could have just jumped right over. And you would have said, thank you, Trent, for jumping over that. Because that's kind of weird. Because Moses is God's man in this moment, right? He's the vessel. He's the tool. Let me say this to you. You can be God's vessel. You can be God's man. You can be God's woman. But if there's an issue in your heart, God's going to address it. God, I promise you, if you're going to be used by God, God will address compromised issues and, and, and compromised uh, uh, areas of your life before moving forward. He will deal with you. I promise you that. So look at what happens right here. This seems wild and crazy. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Out of nowhere, this thing unfolds. This is an incredibly strange account. God confronts Moses in the most intense manner. He's about to snuff. This is the man. God called him. God knew his deficiencies. God knew his inadequacies. But there's an issue at hand that is what? That is terminal. And if death, listen, Death is coming one way or the other. This issue is terminal, and God is going to deal with it on a terminal level. What happened? This is what happened. The Lord met Moses and was about to kill him, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. You know what Moses had forsaken to do? Circumcise his son. Whose responsibility was it to circumcise the son? It would have been the father's. He's the priest of the home. He's the patriarch of the home. He's the leader. And it was his responsibility to maintain the covenant amongst the generations that followed him, that being his son. Gershon he may have, Eliezer he may not have. That's the implication. It was probably the younger son. There may have been some resistance from Zipporah, seeing no benefit to having done the first son like this. Maybe the first son had experienced pain, discomfort, and even some type of traumatic experience. I have no idea. But for some reason, the second son isn't circumcised, forfeiting the covenant with God. And you know what God says about that? This is how serious this is. In Genesis 17, verse 14, or chapter 17, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Moses, you're going into Israel or into Egypt 
to collect my children who are marked by covenant sign and you in your own house aren't honoring the covenant. Man of God, Moses, no exception for you. God's not compromising with Moses. If Moses in the man, there would have been another. When Moses is gone, God's, God's plan doesn't stop when Moses dies. Proof in that that God's got other ways and other means. But he wasn't going to allow Moses to continue in this path in a compromised state. And you know what happens right here? He's about to kill him. And the helpmate, Zipporah. Now, I don't know if she had objected. I don't know what the conditions were around it. But she sees her 80-year-old husband about to bite the bullet. She pulls out that flint knife. I don't know. I don't know how old Eliezer was. Can you imagine her chasing him around the sanctuary? Come here, boy. Your dad's life's on the line. We got skin in this game. Literally. Hey, hey, hey. She takes the... She takes the surgical scalpel that had been sanitized... No, she, she's a flint knife. Hold still. You know his kids think I am. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I am. She does the deed. Cuts off her son's foreskin, touches Moses' feet with it. And this is what she says. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Listen, Moses, having left Egypt, I know there's two things he's glad he brought. That staff of God, listen, and the help of God. You know, in Genesis, when it talks about Eve being a helper, created by God to do that, she becomes the agent of what? She is the agent of God's help. I took the power of God, and I brought the help of God. And thank goodness, thank goodness, the two combined have spared my life. His power and his help. And this is what she says. She says, so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. Hmm. Bridegroom of blood. There's another person referred to as the bridegroom. Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom. Remember Matthew chapter 9 when the Pharisees, John's disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, why ain't your slackers fasting like we fast? And Jesus said, how can the attendants of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's with them? But there will come a time when the, the bridegroom will be removed and at that time they will fast. That bridegroom, in the Hebrew, the word bridegroom means covering. Jesus is our covering. And the reality, in as much as he says, she says right here, you're a bridegroom of blood, that bridegroom, that being Jesus, too is a bridegroom of blood that covers us. Right? Okay, move on. And we're, 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 we're going through this pretty quickly. The Lord said, now, there's a lot happening here. The Lord said to Aaron, remember Aaron, this is the brother of Moses. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Now, here's a little nugget. Here's a little nugget, okay? God's plan is being worked out on many fronts in many lives. You're not the only agent of God at work in the plan of God to accomplish the purpose of God. You will be shocked when you begin to realize how God has assembled the body of Christ to be covering every corner, every intersection. Man, you'll encounter things, man. And you'll, you'll discover things. You mean, how'd I, end up, how'd I end up in Kentucky from Clearwater? You know, little Reuben, God may have been working something out there to get you here, to get you back there. There's something here that is necessary for you to be there. God's not wasting time on you, brother. God's not wasting his plan on you. God's working things out, many things, on many fronts. 
You're just one of them. And so he's working on the front of Aaron. Remember, this is a revelation. This is a prophetic word that he had spoken to Moses there, right, at Mount Sinai. Remember in the Sinai Peninsula? Remember when he said, your brother Aaron's on his way. God spoke it before it ever even happened. Then he made it happen. All right, this is what it says. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Now this is a powerful moment, right? This is an 80-year-old dude who hadn't seen his brother in 40 years. Now he has to backtrack and he's going back through the same areas. He's going back to Egypt. He passes the mountain of God and there he sees a man at a distance. You know, you can imagine, you know, the, 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 the hazy, uh, uh, the heat rising from the rocky, sandy ground. You, you can see the silhouette of a man from a distance. Kind of got that whole uh, spaghetti western Clint Eastwood vibe to it, right? You can see that. Moses, he sees somebody. He's got a donkey, a wife, a son, and a bloody kid. And he's looking, and all of a sudden, he sees this man. And as they draw closer to the mountain of God, in this, let me drop this one on you. You can almost imagine them meeting, intersecting at the mountain of God. <laughs> of, all, of all places, you're going to meet. You're going to meet at the mountain where the very presence of God resided. As you can imagine, the, what, what does the scripture say, right? So he met Moses at the mountain of God and talked to him. That's not what it said. And he kissed him. Forty years. Can you imagine, Aaron, Moshe? Is that you? I mean, 40 years, man? I mean, I, I run into people every once in a while from high school and whatnot. Matter of fact, this just happened the other day. I ran into an individual. They said, hey, Trent. I said, how could you tell? Right? And like, my wife don't even recognize me. You recognize me? Hey, Trent. Yeah. It's been 40 years. He was 40 years old. Now he's 80 years old. Man, a lot happens in 40 years. Moshe, is that, is that you? Aaron? The older brother? How old is Aaron at this moment? They embrace. Now, that's, a, that's an incredible thing. When the providence of God brings you together like that and you see the prophetic word, listen, let me, let me tell you about um, how the providence of God and intersecting things sometimes happen and how encouraging. This right here should have been an incredibly encouraging moment because the prophetic word of God came to pass, right? The intersection, the timing, you see the providence of God moving in all this. Let me say this. When the providence of God, providence of God works out in our life, it should always be an encouraging experience for us because we know God's moving, right? And you sit, listen, I got up one morning. Uh, I live in Buffalo. Anybody know where Buffalo is besides those that reside in Buffalo? If you, Ricky, you don't count. You live too close to Buffalo. You did. Penny, you're out. You're a Hodgevillian. You, you know. Anybody, anybody not from the Buffalo area know where Buffalo is? Okay, well, bless you kids. All right. It's a regular geographical oddity, isn't it? You find Buffalo... You've hit the lottery, right? So I wake up in, I wake up one morning in Buffalo. Why? Because that's where I live, right? So I wake up one morning. God stirs on my heart, Jim. I've shared this with, God stirs on my heart. said, Trent, I need you to go to Vine Grove, and I need you to go speak to this man. And I said, God, I don't want to go to Vine Grove, and I definitely don't want to speak to this man. I this is a conflict rising, and I know it. God said, I want you to go to Vine Grove and speak to this man. <laughs> you know, you know, he, he just doesn't change his mind on these matters, right? So it was so deep in my heart. It was early in the morning. I don't even know where the man lives. I'm not even sure how to get to his house. And it's early in the morning. I'm not going to call the man, wake him up and say, hey, I'm coming to your house. Probably don't want me there anyway, but I'm coming, right? So I say to myself, I'll get in my car and I'll start to drive up there. When I get closer to his house where the man is given you know, probably some, a little bit of time, maybe to have, have maybe woke up, had a cup of coffee, prepared himself for this encounter, which could be crazy, I'll give him a call and ask him how to get to his house. But I knew God wanted me to go, so I, I guess somewhat cleaned up. <laughs> I get in the car and I set out, Reuben, 
And I'm driving. It's about a 40-minute drive from my house to this location. And I get off. I'm over here at this parkway. And I, I get off on the, the little bypass that, that uh, intertwines or intersects up here at, at uh, uh, Patriot Parkway in front of uh, Severns Valley. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? We'll do a road trip after church if you don't. And so I know God wants me to speak to this man. But I don't even know where he lives. And I pull up at the intersection. Cars everywhere. North, south, east, west. Cars going everywhere. You got that work traffic. Those bankers. All them bankers out on the road at that time of morning, you know. Real workers already at work. Bankers are coming in late. Oh, uh, we, got, we love our bankers. All right? And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm at this intersection. And I'm like, Lord, I've only got probably 15, 15 miles or so. I need to call him. Car's going everywhere. I come to a stop there. There's the red light. Lo and behold, a car pulls up right beside me. It's the man that God had said for me to go visit. Now you tell me. And here's the crazy thing. He doesn't see me because he pulls up a little bit in front of me. I'm sitting there at an intersection full. What are, the, what are the chances that the person that God woke me up that morning, had me go see, stops beside my car at an intersection so I can follow him to his house? I'm telling you, I've never been more confident, more confident that God had ordained this. I'm telling you, I can look up into heaven and see God wink. It was one of those moments I didn't know whether to laugh, cry, get out of my car, and just, I didn't know what to do. I literally followed this man all the way into his garage. And if you're from Europe or Great Britain, that area, into his garage. Right? I get out of my car before he gets out of his car. And because of the providence of God being demonstrated in that encounter at that intersection, guess who got out of their car with full confidence? With a staff in their right hand. Knowing that God had ordained this. You think I minced words? You think I, I was indirect? Think again. And then God's done something beautiful. God spoke and God moved. The situation was unlike anything I had anticipated or expected. God didn't send me up there in his power to, to destroy opposition. He sent me up there in his power to heal. To heal. To heal. He sent me up there to liberate, to deliver. And when Moses sees Aaron, it had to be that type of encouragement. The providence of God playing out. And we're going to close right here. Then Moses told Aaron everything. Everything. Notice it doesn't say that about Jethro. Why could he tell him everything? He was part of the plan. The Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. And we're closing in this verse. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of, of the Israelites. Man, they broke, in, they broke into Egypt, man. They crossed over. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. And he also performed the signs before the people. Notice it said signs. It's plural. Remember God had given them the signs for the unbelieving Hebrews? Now, there's something I said last week talking about the, the leprosy sign. I want to explain that to you. He demonstrates the sign, the staff, right? Then he does the leprosy thing. You know, signs, plural. Does it in, out, in, out. You know, it's like a slight hand, right? Out, leprosy, in, clean, right? But only Moses experienced that. No one else had leprosy. That wasn't for anybody. Man, when it's this close, I want you to see this in 
out. I can imagine that. The power of God over his heart. Out. In. Clean. Give me some liberty to say we need the power of God covering our hearts. And only Moses experienced that. And then he goes out and he pulls water from the Nile. It turns to blood. And this is what the scripture says. And they believed. And when they heard, when they heard Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When they heard that the Lord was concerned you do realize he's concerned about you too, right? Everyone in it, you, Jose, you know that, right? First Peter chapter five verse seven says this: Cast all your anxiety. Any anxiety in here? Anybody suffered anxiety? Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Maleo, maleo—that's the word. It means to be. Listen, when he says cares. Maleo, maleo means to be concerned. When they found out the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, he sees you. You know what their response was? They bowed down and they worshiped. What is your response to God and his concern for you? How do you respond to knowing that God has heard and that he is concerned about you? In the Hebrew, when you look at the word concern, it means to visit. Did you know that? It wasn't just that he had heard. And some of your translations are rendered as that. And he visited. Because his concern is an action. And their response was worship. And so here we are, 100 hops in way. Sleep deprived of an hour. And the knowledge that God is concerned about us is left at our feet. The only question now to be answered is how then will you respond? Not just in this moment, but with your life. How will you respond? Stand with me for a moment. say, Trent, we, le- we lost an hour of sleep and your sermon's gone an hour over. We're at a negative two-hour loss for this Sunday. So what? <laughs> God, God's wanting to do something in your life. With your heads bowed just for a moment, just for a moment, your heads bowed. You can speak to God and he will hear you because of his concern for you. He has visited a place such as this today for you. You. Some of you this morning, man, you're so far removed from that burning bush, man. Your question this morning is, Trent, is my burning bush experience, is it still in play? I've lost so much time, but can I act on it now? Is it too late to act on it? Can I move now? Can it be said of me now that I went 
Or is it too late? I say to you, now is the perfect time. It's the only moment you've got. You say, Trent, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid to act. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what it's going to cause. I'm afraid what it's going to look like. I'm afraid of what people are going to say. The threats, the pending threats that, that, that I'm perceiving await me. And I believe God would speak to you this morning like he spoke to Moses and the fears in his heart. Those fears are no longer in play. Those threats are no longer in play. You need to just act. You need to move. You need to come. You need to go. A lot's been covered this morning. A lot's been laid at your feet. This is a burning bush experience for some of you today. What are you going to do with it? In Jesus' name, you need to respond, not to me, but to God this morning. You need to respond to him this morning. Taylor's going to, going to play for a moment. She's going to sing for a moment. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to consider and contemplate what it is that God is saying to you this morning. In the name of the Lord, the altars are open. It's your time to respond to God's concern for you. In Jesus' name, would you come?